0: Hi, I'm Rico Tice, a pastor of a church called All Souls in London. Most of us wonder, is there something more to life? The Finding More podcast tells the stories of 11 people who asked that question and found the answer. In this episode, we spoke to David. David had nothing. His life was stripped to the bones. But it wasn't until this point that he started searching for something more. He knew he had to do something to get his life together. Is there something more to life? It's time to find out.
1: The year 1990 was David's annus Horribilis. In that one horrible year, almost everything that could go wrong, did go wrong. His marriage had broken down a few years before. At the start of 1990, his ex-wife made the decision to move abroad, to be closer to her family, and took their two young children with her. That was obviously incredibly painful, David says, and it kind of started a chain of disastrous events. They'd sold their house when they separated and split the money. David used the little money he was left with to buy a tiny flat in a commuter town where he tried to piece life back together. But it was bad timing. There was a big recession in 1990 and the company I was working for went bust. It was inevitable, really. The whole business was based around selling office furniture and the last thing anybody does in a recession is redecorate their office. The rest of the year was a downward spiral of periods of unemployment mixed with a string of jobs, each of which was a backward step. By the end of the year, David had been made redundant three times, and the financial consequences were dire. I couldn't pay the mortgage on the flat I had bought, and so the bank repossessed it and sold it. House prices had fallen during the recession, which meant that David ended up in negative equity. Tens of thousands in debt, and with no home. I was divorced, unemployed, and without a permanent home. And because I didn't have any money, I stopped socialising. It was a really bad time, to be honest. I became severely depressed, and at my lowest, I was probably suicidal. It was just the fact that I loved my kids that saved me from... It's at this moment, as David quietly recounts those dark days that were interrupted. We're having lunch at the cafe of the church community centre where David now works as a manager and someone comes over to the table to give him an envelope. In the course of the interview, another person needs his help with something in the office. Someone else rings his iPhone, twice, until they get through to him. When we're interrupted for the fourth time, David shrugs his shoulders and says with a smile, Welcome to my world. While David is in the office averting an IT disaster, a member of staff brings over the food to our table, a tuna salad and a Coke Zero for him. I ask her how she would describe David. Oh, he's incredibly hard-working, is the first thing she says. Organised, approachable. He's a very good boss, actually. Because he's not on my back the whole time, but I know I can go to him if I need help. And he will always listen and back me up. He's very focused. He just gets on with doing what needs to be done. It seems a pretty accurate description. After all, this is a man whose sporting hero is the 80s English footballer, Kevin Keegan, because he wasn't the most naturally gifted player, but you could tell that he trained really hard to get where he was. David's musical hero for the record is Bruce Springsteen. As a kid growing up in a working-class Jewish family, David spent a lot of his youth in a place not unlike the community centre he now runs, at a youth club in the east end of the city. It was set up for poor Jewish kids in the 1890s by wealthy Jewish benefactors. By the 1950s and 60s when I was going, They had a big three-storey building with a theatre and space for lots of sports and activities. It was an amazing place. That club really shaped me. It gave me a great sense of community and Jewish identity. David's parents were not particularly religious. The family would celebrate the major festivals, but being Jewish was more of a cultural identity than a religion to follow strictly. By the time David left home at 18, he definitely, definitely didn't do God. I had no interest in it. Playing football was what dominated my weekends. But two decades later, David found himself alone and desperate, having lost his job, his home, and his family in the course of that one horrible year. I knew I had to do something to get myself together. I didn't have any money for a therapist. So I went to a bookshop and looked in the self-help section. I bought a book off the shelf and read the first few chapters which had these little psychological tips and they seemed to work a bit. Then one Sunday evening in December, as I was reading it in my bedroom, I came to a chapter on the power of prayer. I didn't know it, but the book had some content that was Christian, mixed with other self-help techniques. In this particular chapter, it talked about the fact that you can pray to God personally and tell him what's on your mind. I remember thinking it all sounded a bit weird. In Judaism, when you pray... You mainly recite set prayers in Hebrew, so this idea that you could actually speak to God as a person was very strange. But, because I was desperate to do something to turn my life around, and because everything I'd read so far in the book had been quite useful, I thought, well okay, let's try this then. But David got a lot more than he bargained for. The book said to just tell God what's in your heart. So I sat back in my chair. And that's when I had a vision of Jesus. Wait, he had what? I know, I know, it sounds weird when people say stuff like that, he says quickly. But it really happened. I wasn't dreaming, I wasn't on drugs, I hadn't been drinking. It was so real and so powerful. And I know for sure it happened because my whole life changed from that moment on. But how did you know it was Jesus? It's like, how do you know you're in love? You just know. That's the only way I can describe it. I just knew it was Jesus. I saw his head hovering just above me, and it was against this kind of glowing background, and the thing that struck me was that he was smiling at me. So, that was the vision. It was brief, but it was real, David says firmly. Just after it happened, I was really scared, and I thought that I was cracking up. But then shortly after that, I just had this warm feeling flowing through me. It was kind of as if Jesus was putting his arm around my shoulder and saying, "'Don't worry, everything is going to be all right now.' For the rest of the evening, I basked in the warm glow of this feeling. I felt better than I had done, not just since the beginning of this horrible year, but for a long, long time. The next morning, David went to work. I'd recently started yet another new job, where I'd met this guy called Steve. We had hit it off instantly.' He was just such a great guy. Steve was a Christian. He was always very open about that, but not in a pushy way. So I couldn't wait to tell him about this amazing thing that had happened to me. But when I got to work, before I said anything to him, Steve said, What's happened to you? I said, What do you mean? He said, You've looked so down since I've known you, but today you're almost glowing. What happened? I told him about my experience the night before, and asked him what he thought it meant. He said, Well, I think that maybe God's trying to tell you something. But how do I know what that is? I asked. Steve explained that the way God speaks to people is through the Bible, and suggested that I try reading it. So I asked Steve if he would come with me at lunchtime to buy one. He said no. Instead, he went to his desk and brought out a brand new Bible from his drawer. He said that he'd been praying for me and had felt compelled to buy a Bible for me a couple of weeks before. David started by reading the New Testament. The first book he came across was therefore Matthew's Gospel. As a Jew, what struck him was how Jewish it all felt. Lots of people assume that Jesus was a Christian, but a Christian is someone who follows Jesus. In fact, Jesus was born as a Jew in ancient Israel. Matthew's Gospel starts with a list of Jesus' ancestry that goes right back to centuries before, and to Jewish heroes like King David and Abraham. So as I was reading, I felt very drawn to it. It had the ring of truth. It definitely didn't sound like it was all made up. But at the same time, I thought, I'm Jewish, and I didn't get into all this to become a Christian. Soon, David had read the whole New Testament. Steve gave him a piece of paper on which he'd scribbled the phone number of a friend of a friend, Bernie, who lived near to David and was willing to meet up with him and talk through some of his questions. The piece of paper sat on David's bedside cabinet for a long time. I kept thinking, I'm Jewish, I'm not a Christian. What am I getting myself into? Eventually, he took the plunge and made the call. Bernie was a doctor, a scientist and a Christian he invited David round to his house for a meal. He said to me, David, you've obviously had this very emotional experience of a vision, but you're clearly an intelligent, thoughtful person. It seems to me like you probably want some more proof about who Jesus is and what he did. He invited me to come to a series of sessions looking at Jesus. He was just brilliant. It all became really clear. By this point, David was sure that what he was reading about Jesus was true. But he was still reluctant at the idea of giving up his Jewish identity to become a Christian. The turning point came when he watched the video testimony of the 1960s pop singer Helen Shapiro, who also came from a Jewish background and who had become a Christian. It really filled in a gap for me. I realised that I was Jewish because I was born into a Jewish family, I'll always have that cultural identity. But I can be a Christian too, because being a Christian is ultimately about following Jesus. It's not about giving up your culture. It's about putting him first. So what does that actually mean in daily life? Now I'm a Christian, my life is not about me. It's about him. That means I try and live in a way that is obedient to Jesus. One of the key things about living as a Christian is serving people putting others before yourself, so that's what I aim to do. David's keen to underline that there's a difference between seeing that Christianity is true and actually becoming a Christian. It comes down to commitment, he explains. If you're going to come out and say you're a Christian, you need to be committed to it, because it does mean your life is going to change. David made that commitment in February 1991, just three months after he'd bought that book. Bernie asked me to pray a simple prayer with him. I told God that I wanted to turn away from my sin and asked Jesus to come into my life. Soon after, David got baptised in Bernie's swimming pool. He started reading the Bible regularly and became part of a church. After a while, he was asked to become a children's Sunday school teacher. He got back into employment and worked his way up to the level he'd been at before his crisis. Later, he met another new Christian, a lady called Heather, They fell in love and got married. Yet David makes clear that becoming a Christian doesn't make all your problems go away, but it will give you an entirely different perspective on life. This life is temporary, but Jesus is eternal, and he is with me through all life's stresses and strains. And David needed to hold on to that, because his commitment to Christ came at a cost. It was a big step to tell my family. I didn't face outright hostility, It was more that they thought I was really, really strange. They couldn't quite believe it. It was hardest for my mother. She came from a generation that lived through the Holocaust, and in her mind, I was almost becoming a traitor to our people. Some of his family and friends still think he's a bit strange. Not least because after working at this church community centre for almost 15 years, he and his wife recently made the decision to retire. They plan to uproot their lives and move to a town 200 miles north of here. They've sold their flat and are going to leave behind most of their friends so that they can be part of a new church that is just starting up. People who don't get Jesus don't get this decision, he says. They think we're crazy, but we're so excited. I can't wait to use my retirement to serve Jesus and serve other people.
0: find out more about christian explored visit christianexplored.org and to purchase the book finding more visit thegoodbook.co.uk forward slash finding more